It's hard to imagine what that day might have been like. My guess is that they knew this was coming because the army had gathered and was building around the outside of the city. But that day, the day when the walls of Jerusalem, their very shield, started to come down at the hands of the Babylonians, that day must have been like no other day that they had experienced in their lives. Every single dad was trying to protect his kids. Every single mom was trying to stand in the way of the harm that was coming. As those walls came down, every single Israelite that stood in the city of Jerusalem knew that their life from that day forward was going to be very different. It happened in 586 BC when the Babylonians came in and took over. They took all of the Israelites off into exile where they would live for the rest of their days under Babylonian rule. In Babylon, they would not get a chance to celebrate their own culture. They would not get a chance to worship God freely there. They, they, they were taken from their homes. They were displaced from everything that they knew, every dream that they had had, every hope that they saw on the distant horizon. It all vanished that day when they saw the walls coming down. We have a painting of uh, this this morning, and this is an artist's rendition of what this may have looked like. But the people of Israel, or the people of Jerusalem, they were forced to leave their city. They were forced to go to a faraway land, and the city itself was burned and leveled to the ground. Can you imagine what that must have been like? If you're a parent, can you imagine what that must have been like, knowing that you were going to have this journey in front of you, and you were going to have to try to protect your family, to protect your kids. If you're older, there would probably be a lot of doubt in your mind as to whether you could even make this journey. There was a lot of uncertainty ahead. Even if you did survive the 500-mile journey from Jerusalem to Babylon, life was going to be very different when you got there. What was that going to be like? Can you imagine how overwhelming that moment must have felt? How all alone, how vulnerable, how painful, and how much doubt you might have been experiencing that those Israelites were experiencing in that moment. They were leaving behind everything that they had known, everything that was familiar, every hope, every dream. It was this dark cloud that had come over the nation. Now, as hard as it is to imagine what that must have been like to be taken off into exile, I think even harder it is to consider what it would be like coming back from exile. Coming back home just did not happen in the ancient world. Once you were captured by a particular nation and taken away from your homeland, that was uh, totally destroyed and burned to the ground, what would it be like? How could you possibly come back? The Israelite people were being taken off into exile because of their sin, because of their disobedience to God. That God had allowed this pagan nation, the Babylonians, to come in and to capture the Israelites because they had rejected him and were running after and serving idols. But God had also promised that in the future he would restore them. That while they were being taken away into exile, while all of this pain and doubt was being experienced about what their future would hold in that moment, he says he was going to be good to them. He had promised that there was hope coming on the horizon. We know that, in fact, God did keep his promise. Seventy years after the Israelites had been taken off into captivity, a miracle happened. They were allowed to return to their homeland once again. 
And Nebuchadnezzar had died. The Babylonians were no longer the dominant world power of the day. Now there was another king, and that was King Cyrus in the Persian Empire who was in control. And God moved in the heart of King Cyrus. After uh, 70 long years of being in exile, the Israelite people were told that they could go back and that they could rebuild their land that had been absolutely destroyed. The only thing crazier than being taken off into exile might be returning from exile. But that's exactly what God had done in the history of his people. And he has been in the business of restoring and rescuing, of bringing dead things back to life, of bringing light into darkness. If you have a Bible with you this morning, or uh, you can open that Bible app, but join me, if you will, in Psalm 126. Psalm 126. And this morning, what we're going to see in this psalm is that this is a psalm about restoration. Over the last number of weeks, we have been in this study through the Psalms of Ascent. We're calling it On the Way. And these were like a playlist of songs that were sung by the Jewish travelers as they left their homes, made their way up to Jerusalem in order to worship God there at the temple. Some of these people were, uh, who were traveling lived pretty close to Jerusalem. Others lived further away from the city. Some even lived outside of the nation of Israel itself. But these pilgrims would gather together. They would make their way up to Jerusalem so that they could worship uh, with the people of God for these annual feasts that would take place there. Uh, Psalm 126 is part of this collection of songs that was sung by the people of God as they made this journey. And these songs are songs that uh, talk about a number of different topics, a number of different experiences that they had, but that we experience today in our lives as well. One of the things that is unique about Psalm 126 is that most likely this was written as one of the later psalms to be written. This this psalm uh, doesn't go all the way back to the days of David or the days of Solomon. No, this psalm uh, most likely was written by someone who was returning to Jerusalem after the people had been taken off into exile by the Babylonians because of the rebellion of Israel that they had followed after other gods, the gods of the nations around them, that they had rejected the Lord. God allowed them to be captured. He allowed them to be taken away from their land, the land that he had given to them. After 70 years of being in a foreign land, he works in a miraculous way in order that they might return. And this psalm is written by someone who is reflecting on that. This psalm is a relatively newer psalm, but it is still been around for quite a while. I mean, you think about Jesus when he was here on this earth, he would make trips to Jerusalem with his parents, Mary and Joseph. And he also went later on with his disciples. Uh, Later on in life, they would travel to Jerusalem for these feasts. Most likely, they would have sung these songs. They would have sung this song along the way. And, And As they went to worship there at the temple, these songs were on their minds. When Jesus sang this song, it was over 500 years old. So while it might be a newer song in this collection of the Psalms, this song has been around for a long, long time. As we look at this psalm this morning, I want us to look at it under three major headings. And here's what they are. Remembering past restoration, praying for present restoration, and anticipating future restoration. 
As you might guess here, the theme of this psalm is restoration. But I want to go ahead and read this psalm, and then we're going to come back and we'll look at it and talk about it a little bit um, this morning. So, your Bible's open, Psalm 126. I want to invite you to follow along as I read, and here is what it says. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was full with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams of the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap. With shouts of joy, he who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. The psalmist here begins with this memory of past restoration. He says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. The Hebrew word restored there has this idea of uh, God hitting rewind and kind of uh, playing, uh, bringing, bringing us back, bringing us back. You know, rewind is something that was common years ago uh, when I was younger. Back in the day, we used to have things called VCRs. And um, we, we had these uh, big uh, uh, v, VHS tapes, uh, one, something like this. Um, it, it, you would have a movie on it or something similar to that that you were watching. And you would watch this movie on the v- VHS uh, tape in the VCR. And after you've watched it, at the end of it, you would p- press rewind so that it, it would rewind back. And it would take a few minutes, but it would rewind back to the very beginning of the movie, back to the beginning of the tape. But when this psalmist uses this word uh, restore, what he's talking about is rewinding. That the Lord sort of is rewinding things back to the way that they should be. Back to the way that they had originally been designed and planned to be. When I read about this, what comes to my mind are those TV shows that kind of focus in on remodeling an old house, fixing it up. You know, I, I, I haven't watched any TV really over the last number of months, but... Uh, one TV show that my wife and I used to like to watch together was this show Fixer Upper. And we have a picture this morning of Chip and Joanna Gaines who uh, used to host that show. But what, what they would do is they would take an old rundown house. They would remodel it. They would remove all of the carpet. They would remove all of the old tile, the old paneling. They would maybe even take down a couple of walls. And then they would redesign. They would restore the house in order to make it absolutely beautiful once again. At the beginning of each show, they would take this camera crew in and they would go through the house and they would show you just what an absolute mess everything is. They, they started tearing everything out, fixing things, putting new stuff in. And, and what I love is how at the end of the show, they have this big reveal. And so the family, they've been away for a while. They haven't seen what's going on. They, they have that family come back and the family stands in front of this big billboard of what their house used to look like. And then they take that billboard and they move the billboard away and they say, look at your new house. The, the people who had newly renovated, had their house newly renovated, what do you think they do? In that moment, what do they do when they see their new house? 
Well, they start jumping up and down. They start screaming and crying and hugging each other. And maybe if you've watched these shows, maybe you started crying a little bit too. But this is a beautiful thing. It's amazing. It's this picture of, you know what, we just can't believe the change that has happened to this house. And, And that's the type of joy that the psalmist is describing here. Now, it's not like these exiles were showing up to brand new houses because they weren't. It wasn't like when they came back to Jerusalem, everything was rebuilt. Uh, they had to rebuild their own houses. There, there was no construction crew that had gone in before them and done all of that. But for them, it was the joy of knowing that God was bringing them back, that God was investing in them, that God was restoring their lives. That God had not abandoned them. He hadn't for, forgotten them. He, he was restoring them as his people. When God does that, what do we do? Well, we dance and we scream and we laugh and we cry and we hug. Why? Because the Lord has done for us what we don't deserve. The Lord has done for us with his grace and his mercy what is so overwhelming to us. We can't believe it. Just imagine what these people were feeling when they heard that the Babylonians were overthrown. When they heard that the king who was in power, King Cyrus, was, was now going to let them return to their homes. It's unbelievable that something like this would happen. But God is faithful to his promise. He is gracious. He is good. It's good for us to see the faithfulness of God to Israel. But I think it's also good to see the faithfulness of God in our own lives. How has God done this work of restoration in you. For some of us here this morning, there is a pretty radical restoration story. Maybe for you, you have experienced something of exile uh, to something like alcohol or drugs, and you remember what it was like to be enslaved to that. Maybe you wanted to be free, but you just couldn't free yourself. And then God in his grace, God in his mercy came, and he did something that you could not do in and of yourself. You experienced that great joy, that great excitement as you were renewed, as you were changed by him. Do you remember that? Some of you might remember uh, exile to addiction. Some of you might remember exile to unhealthy relationships or maybe an unholy relationship. As much as you wanted, you could not change that other person. You could not change yourself. It it was uh, broken, It, it was a burden, it was something that was heavy, too heavy for you to bear, but then God intervened and he reminded you that he loves you, that he died for you, that he wants, uh, he, he wants what's best for you, and he comes and he rescues you. And as you trusted in him, as you experienced his restoring power, there was this healing, there was this renewal that took place. Do you remember that? doesn't matter what your exile story may have been. We all have a little bit different story in that. But when people see you now and they remember what you were like back then, the only explanation is, well, you know what? The Lord has done great things for him. The Lord has done great things for her. The Lord has done great things for them. And when we hear that, what's our response? Well, our response is, without a doubt, the Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. You see, it's really important for us to remember God's past restoration in our lives, because it ultimately encourages us to pray for present restoration that is so needed today. 
love what Charles Spurgeon said. We're, we're going to put this quote up on the screen, but he, he says it this way. He says, nothing strengthens faith more effectually than the memory of a previous experience. Let me say that again. Nothing strengthens faith more effectually than the memory of a previous experience. How true that is. When we remember what God has done, when we remember how he has restored our lives in the past, that strengthens our faith as we deal with our present circumstances. When I think back to some of the great ways that God has worked in my life in the past, it reminds me that he has the power to do something about what is presently going on in my life. And it makes me long for him to put his power on display in my life again. Kind of like, Lord, do it again. Lord, do it again. We see that here in this psalm. If you look at uh, again at verse 4, it says, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams of the Negev. The psalmist has remembered what God has done in the past, how he has restored their fortunes when it seemed like all hope was lost. And because he remembers what has happened in the past, it gives him uh, confidence to, to pray to the Lord again to do and to work in the way that he has in the past. Verse 1, the Lord, he says, uh, the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion in the past. And now in verse 4 it says, restore our fortunes here in the present. Do it again, Lord. Now, I think it's important for us to realize that this phrase, restore our fortunes, doesn't mean, Lord, make us rich. Uh, when we think about fortunes, a lot of times what we think is uh, about finances, that we think about wealth in this world, but that's not what the focus is here. Uh, the, that first generation, they went back to Judah, they went back to Jerusalem, they did not return with a bunch of money in their hands. They did not return with, with, uh, to the city that was rebuilt and beautiful. No, they returned to piles of rubble. All around them was loss, all around them was brokenness and devastation. And it's in the face of coming home to a city that is in ruins that, and reflecting on this miraculous hand of God in order to actually bring them back that has made them say, Lord, knowing how you have moved, Lord, knowing how you have shown your power and your presence in the past, would you in your grace and mercy restore our lives here in Judah once again? In other words, they are asking God to fill their lives once again with an abundance of his goodness and his blessing, which could include wealth, but money is certainly not the focus here. What, what, we, what they desire is a fullness of life. What they desire is fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. I think that it's important here to recognize that restoration is a lifelong process. That at times there, there are situations that we are going to experience where our lives are just feeling dried up like a drought. Maybe feeling like we're living in a desert at times. As most of you know, I grew up on a farm and, um, you know, as I picture this psalm and I, I think uh, about uh, a couple of experiences growing up on our farm as a family, we experienced a drought and... Um, you know, as a farmer, rain is such an important part of life. And if the crops don't grow, you're not going to have anything, right? And so now um, it's Father's Day today. Um, my dad, I think about how he still is living on the farm. My mom as well. Uh, the the farm that I grew up on. And 
it's hard to get a good picture of my dad. My dad doesn't really take a whole lot of pictures, and I don't really have a great picture of my dad from recently. But uh, we do have a picture this morning of my dad and our kids. They're out in the barn. They're uh, taking care of some pigs. And this was something like uh, last September, the last time that we were in Ohio and saw them in person. When, when I think about a drought, I think back to 1988. And the reason why I think about that year is that year was such a hard year for us as a farming family. You know, we didn't have any significant rain for like three straight months, June, July, August, right when the crops were supposed to be growing the most, there was no rain. And it was difficult, it was challenging, it was discouraging, it was hard. And I just remember how much we prayed every night and every day that God would send the rain because when the rains come, then those things are going to come back to life, right? You know, there are times in our lives where you're going to experience droughts, where we are going to not have any rain. And that's true not just in a physical sense of raindrops falling from the sky, but that's true in a spiritual sense as well. That spiritually, we can go through times of just drought in our lives. And maybe you've been experiencing a time like that right now, where you're just physically, emotionally, spiritually drained and even feeling a bit dried up. Honestly, I feel like I've been struggling that way recently. It's been a battle. It's been this weight. It's this feeling of being dry. You know, in, in those times, what we need, what I need, is to remember what God has done in the past. And then to pray and to ask him to restore us. God, pour out your presence. Help me to know your goodness today. Friends, we need to know today that God is not bothered by that. He wants us to look to Him. The reality is, is that we will look to something. We will look to someone. If we don't look to God, then we're going to look to something else. And that's where idolatry is going to come into our lives. We, we, may, we may look to find significance and hope in life. We may look in this world to find hope and significance, but that's not where we're going to find it. God wants us to call out to Him. We should not be afraid to call out to Him. We shouldn't be afraid to ask Him to move, to ask Him to bless us, because when God blesses us, it enables us then to be a blessing to the other people around us. And that is how restoration works. So the psalmist here leads us to remember God's past restoration, which leads us to pray for his present restoration. But then thirdly here, we are called to live in anticipation of a future restoration. Here's what the psalmist says in verses 5 and 6. He says this, Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. You can imagine what it must have been like for that returning generation. While they were in exile there in Babylon, they had heard all of the stories about what life in Judah was like. Their parents would say things like, hey, you know what? You just can't imagine what the wheat harvests were like when we were back home. Uh, their grandparents would just rave about how big and abundant the grapes were. Hey, you know, back in our day, back when we were in Judah, this is what it was like. And they had heard all of the stories, but none of them had really experienced this because they had grown up in Babylon. 
70 years had passed. They were getting to return to the land once again. They were the generation that was returning home. But when they come back, what do they see? Well, what they see is all of this overgrown, these overgrown fields. There is no wheat in the fields. It's just a lot of grass and weeds and plants growing randomly everywhere. They, they find what used to be vineyards, but there are no vines anymore. They've been gone for 70 years and the, the vines are now dead. Nothing good is growing there. Of course, there are things that can be done. It can be restored, but it's not going to be easy. It's certainly not going to happen overnight. There, there are going to be a lot, there's going to be a lot of hard work and tears involved in order to sow some new seeds. There, there's going to be a lot of weeping involved in this process. But those things are done as those tears are being cried, as, as they think about the future harvest that will result from all of this. You know, we can think about our own past lives as well. For those of us who are parents, uh, for those of us who are grandparents, you know the kind of tears that can go into sowing seeds into the lives of your children and your grandchildren. It happens when, you're in the, when they're in the home. It happens when they have left the home. You never stop sowing seeds into your kids' lives. And when those seeds come, oftentimes, or as you sow those seeds, rather, oftentimes there are tears that will continue to flow in that process. Those of you who are students, you can relate to this. Uh, you may ha- have uh, school, summer break might be here and school might be over for the, the summer, but um, you have been studying as a student, maybe even doing some e-learning along the way and online studies, and you are sowing seeds into your future through your education. It is hard work. It is long nights. It is sometimes uh, tears that are flowing that, that as you put in this effort. Some of you are sowing very intensely into your careers and you're putting in long hours and you're you're making personal sacrifices. Your family is making personal sacrifices and this season of life is difficult. But while you are working hard, you are looking down the road to a day when it's all going to pay off. There is this anticipation. There is this anticipated future joy of what everything's going to be like. Here's... The hard part, the harsh reality is that sometimes we don't get to see, we don't get to experience the harvest that we had hoped for. As hard as as we might try, we still might not pass that class. I mean, calculus never made any sense to me. We may pour our blood, sweat, and tears and livelihood into our business and then a pandemic strikes or riots come and the business is gone and those things were not a part of the business plan. We, we love our kids, we teach our kids to do certain things, but then they grow up and sometimes they make bad choices still. We love our spouse, but then we do something stupid, we say something uh, hurtful and it hurts them. Sometimes disease comes upon us, sometimes tragedy strikes, and we never get the opportunity to see what it could have been like. Friends, this is why it is so important for us to have a gospel perspective on things, that we need to keep the big picture in view, not just in the scriptures, but in our own lives as well, because here is the reality that that there is someone who is sowing. There is someone else who uh, has invested everything in you, has invested everything into me. 
This sowing that he has done has come at a tremendous cost of tears and sweat and blood. Ultimately, his very life. God has invested his own son into us. Into our ultimate restoration. Into our eternal salvation. And because Jesus Christ victory over sin and death, that investment is a guaranteed return from God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul describes the resurrected Jesus Christ as the first fruits of God's final harvest. It's this idea of planting a field full of seeds. The rains come, the the sun comes, and these little seeds grow and they grow and they grow. And there comes this time when those seeds produce a harvest and those first stalks of grain are harvested and they are called the first fruits of this great harvest that is to come. That God says that Jesus is the first fruits of this great harvest of salvation that is going to come through the people of God. And the Bible says that those who have placed their faith in Jesus, that those who love him, will be raised with Christ to this glorious, redeemed life when he returns. And friends, that is the ultimate restoration that we live for. That is the future restoration that we anticipate. There are other restorations that we can reflect back on in our lives and in this world. Other restorations that we may pray for, which may or may not happen in the way that we wish that they would. But there is one restoration that guarantees, that is guaranteed, and that is the harvest of those who are in Christ and that, that we are going to take part in one day. That day when we are raised in a newness of life for all of eternity. That's how the story ends. And what a glorious day that will be. Let's pray.